From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here at GreenBiz headquarters at 350 Franco Gawa Plaza in downtown Oakland, California. On this week's edition, avoiding greenwashing the SDGs, using tech as a force multiplier for sustainability innovation, Dow's Packaging Innovation Lab, and the problems and promise of ESG ratings. We're taking stock this week on 350. It's November 22nd, 2019. Welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. Joining me as she does every week from Midland Park, New Jersey, is Green Biz Editorial Director Heather Clancy. Hello, Heather. Hello, Joel. How are you today? I am good. You know, I'll just say that there's not a question you can ask me right now where the answer doesn't begin the state of green business report, or as we <laughs> affectionately call it, SOGB. SOGB. Uh, internally, and we don't usually mm-hmm. talk about that externally. Yeah, deep into that, and everything I'm doing is focused on the 2020 report, our 13th annual, which will be coming out on January 13th. We'll have a webcast that day, and uh, looking forward to it, but it's always a pretty heavy lift. As you know, we do two, 10 trends, and you wrote one of them, I wrote one, and the rest of our team has written the other eight, and um, then we have this great metric set from our partners at True Cost, part of S&P Global, where they look at about 30 sustainable business metrics globally, and just to see how we've been doing over the past five years. And so there's a lot of moving parts on that. And it's always so satisfying when it comes out on January 13th, (laughs) and so much pain getting it there. So that's, uh, sorry, you didn't mean to get into all that, but that's uh, my story. Um, how's it by you? So you have, you're having a therapy session here with me. <laughs> yeah. yes. I totally agree with J- you. Just now that the two of us are here alone, we can just right? talk, talk candidly. It's, it's the curse of journalists, especially in December, because I'm living in 2022. I'm thinking about all these stories we should be writing next year and the year-end you know, grind, the 10 thises and 10 thats, and this was the year that, and watch these things in 2020. So I'm actually, uh, as you prepare SOGB, I'm, I'm focusing on getting some assignments out for early next year and doing some planning for trips. Oh my goodness. Um, and actually need to, to write a description for a session that I'm going to host at, at, at Green Biz 20. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I'm living in 2020. I'm living in the future. And that is a curse of journalism, uh, sort of perpetually. And that, that's the lot in the life. And, and I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't give it up for anything, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's also the curse of being in the events business where we're always uh, on that hamster wheel of working on our next three events. And we uh, m- most recently had our Verge 19 event and we are deep into Verge 20 and not to mention Circularity 20 and Green Biz 20, our three big events for the coming year. So yeah, and and then um, uh, next week, a, a quick uh, program note, we will not be podcasting uh, on Thanksgiving week. Uh, we can have some time to do our respective Thanksgiving thing along with the rest of the Green Biz team. Uh, what's your Thanksgiving thing? So actually, I, I'm, I'm hosting 
dinner for my in-laws. It's actually pretty small. You know how hard it is to find and buy a small turkey? <laughs> We're only having about six people, and, and these things are massive. It's like, okay, here's a 20-pound. I'm like, I don't need 20 pounds. I need like 10. Yeah. But I do, I do appreciate good turkey. So it's fun. It's therapy. So Joel... I heard that you get to do a trip yet next year. I'm very jealous. You are going to Davos. Yeah, I actually just booked my airfare, uh, air, air ticket this week. I'm going to go to the World Economic Forum event in Davos uh, for the first time. Um, yeah, <gasps> been wanting to do this for a while and finally uh, making it happen. There's a, a bunch of events uh, there I will be participating in and uh, lots more. I assume I'll be uh, attending or lurking or you know, maybe pressing my nose against the glass and hoping to get in. I don't know. We'll see. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we'll be stopping uh, on the way back in Paris to speak at the offices of a couple of our partner organizations over there. And it's the first of what could be four international trips I'm looking at for 2020. There's that. There's the my annual trip to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Summit in, in uh, London in June. There's COP uh, in Glasgow in the end of the year. And before that, there's uh, hoping to go to uh, a big biodiversity COP as opposed to the climate COP uh, that's going to be taking place in China, I think in October. Uh, so those uh, I'm not clear on those yet, but that's what's on my calendar. And uh, in addition to you know, all the other flying around, which uh, is controversial these days, but um, mm. part of a lot of our jobs uh, in and out of sustainability. Yeah, I hope to be joining you in Scotland for COP. That would be great. But uh, the Davos, I think the Davos trip is really important for us because we've been writing about the event for the last several years. It's gotten the, the leaders there have gotten much more focused on these issues, which is gratifying and wonderful. So I'm really excited for you to be going to that. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know, content. You may recall that last year, Loop, the uh, program uh, the, from TerraCycle that create that sort of milkman uh, reusable uh, consumer products uh, program uh, debuted, was announced at Davos. And so there's a lot more content, and particularly around the circular economy. So lots to go. But anyway, we've, we're, we've been talking about next week and next year, but let's talk about this past week, the Week in Review. I'll get us started, Joel. Uh, I would love to flag a piece on the SDGs. And the, the thing that really struck me about this article by Antonio Vives, he's a consultant with Comptaire, uh, is his focus on the measurement and monitoring of, of, of how companies report their progress, right? And it's a really thoughtful article about the need for more specific guidelines on reporting. And how you declare, you as a company, declare whether or not something is tied to a particular sustainable development goal. Um, th there's greenwashing happening in two specific areas, as, he's, as he notes. One is that, you know, sort of in the classic reporting. So a lot of companies, and, you know, frankly, rightly so, have gone back and looked at what they've already been doing and then sort of aligned their reporting and said, yes, and we do X, Y, and Z against the SDGs. But it's not really sort of a specific initiative in many cases that, that, they've, that they've put in place and that they have a specific goal against, right? They, they, they don't have sort of a, a performance indicator that they've set out. And the other thing is that some companies have started to tie loans and bonds to 
uh, SDG projects, um, although they're not quite uh, quite as aligned uh, as with those projects as you might expect. So I think it, this is just a thoughtful piece. We've we've been debating internally about how we should reporting about the sustainable development goals, what how we should be holding companies accountable. And this is a wonderful piece that, that it sort of puts a, a flag, plants a flag there and says, okay, think about these things. And I, so I, I appreciate this piece for that, for that reason. Yeah, I think we're hitting sort of an inflection point, if I can use that uh, well, uh, overly used term, uh, with the SDGs. And, and to um, the, the point of, of this article, uh, you know, a lot of what's happened so far is you've got these 17 big goals. This is all, all adopted by the United Nations member states in 2015. It's supposed to provide a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people on the planet, according to the United Nations. And, you know, they're big, hairy, audacious goals. No poverty, zero hunger, you know, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, and so on. And I think what's, what's happened so far is that companies have mapped what they're already doing to the SDGs, so they have some kind of closed loop program, or you know, take back program, or uh, recycled content program, and say, "Yep, number twelve, responsible consumption and production." They've purchased some uh, green energy for their facilities. Maybe they've even gone to one hundred percent. Yep, that's number seven, affordable and clean energy. What they're not necessarily doing there is anything outside of their operations. Maybe it's in their supply chain, maybe it's in a little, little bit beyond that, but this is really you know, affordable and clean energy is making sure that there is uh, renewable energy or clean energy for all um, and, and helping build that out. And so a lot of this is, yep, we're doing that, we're doing that, we're doing that. And, and that's, it's been five years since the Sustainable Development Goals were introduced. And they have a 15-year uh, horizon, so these are goals that we're trying to get to by 2030. Now that we're on the cusp of a new decade, uh, 2020 marks the year where we stop just this accounting that we've things we're already doing and really get going on the sustainable development goals. And this is that interesting moment, and this will be that interesting year to see how much traction the SDGs really truly get in terms of of, of moving these needles, if you will, forward. Um, and to the point of 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 this article uh, by Antonio Vives, uh, you know, how do we measure that? How do we track yeah. it? How do we know it's real? Yeah. Yep. And before we close out this topic, I'm just going to note that there is another segment a little bit later on awareness of the sustainable development goals, because, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what these are and where they're coming from. And is this my responsibility? And this is the governments and countries. And so I think generally speaking, um, you know, people at large, the the average citizen, if I were to say sustainable development goal to my husband, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, But I do feel like part of the challenge that companies have is that their own people probably are still coming to terms with what these are. So lots of work required, but such important work. Well, speaking of work, let's talk about the work of technology. We have a piece from Mike Hauer 
Managing Director of Sustainability and Social Impact at Think Parallax and uh, has been an occasional uh, Green Biz contributor uh, from an event that his firm uh, had uh, recently in San Francisco um, about the role of technology and sustainability. Uh, not a new topic. We've been covering this for a long time, and you in particular, Heather, have, have been on the technology beat. But it's always interesting to bring together people uh, who are in the middle of this to talk about it, and particularly in this moment when technology is um, so under fire in a lot of ways, at least, you know, the Facebook and Google, and but also uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and self-driving cars, and, and there's lots of privacy issues. And so the question is, you know, how how is technology being used as a force for good, and and is it all good? Uh, so that was an interesting perspective. Uh, but this is this is your world, Heather. W what's going on here? <laughs> this is my world. Well, first of all, I love. There's a reference in this piece to being the sort of a lot of this is invisible, right? You don't see it, and it's happening behind the scenes. So that's part of the challenge. Is um, but that's actually part of the magic, if you will, because this innovation does need to be embedded into the processes of of a company. And you wrote about one project in particular. I find fascinating, which is that. Salesforce, the the sustainability team at Salesforce, went. They were on. They they had this exercise for themselves. They wanted to put together a system that could help them report and get better metrics and and sort of run their processes in a more systematic way and analyze and and report and gather the environmental data. As you know, many companies do this with spreadsheets right now, and, and that's kind of the way it's been done. And and there's nothing really a tool. Well, so Salesforce did this for themselves and just, you know, kind of realized along the way that, hey, you know what, this could probably be good for other businesses. So they've, they, that was the genesis of the Salesforce Sustainability Cloud, which again, is just part and parcel of the operations of a company, but it's what's needed to scale many of these things. And that's part of the, the magic, again, of, of technology is it helps these things scale out of a couple of person sustainability team into the operational psyche of a company. There's also another speaker uh, was Jason Kibbe with HIGCO, and HIG was, you know, is the name of the index that was was developed to to run and and track material uh, materials related to lots of different, especially apparel, right? Um, and that started as a project within within a couple of companies. I can't remember exactly who was was responsible right at the beginning. Well, I think it was driven by this uh, organization that, that Jason used to run called the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And that's where the HIG index, but I know uh, Patagonia was involved. Nike, and yeah. uh, Nike, a mm -hmm. number of uh, mm -hmm. sort of the usual suspects, which is to say the leadership companies, but ultimately came to be uh, dozens, if not hundreds of companies that became part of this and, uh, and launched this. And it was so successful that yeah, they spun it out into its own organization, Higco. Yeah, yeah. So that thank you for that background. But the you know again the point being that hey, this is again something that needs to happen system, system systemically and behind the scenes. And um, so I love yeah, I live in this world. I love technology, um, but not for technology's sake. I mean, I get really geeked out about all the fun, exciting things like artificial intelligence and blockchain, but I am really more interested in the practical application of, of said things. And so, yes, practical, invisible, scalable. Uh, that's what I think about uh, technology is a, uh, as, as Mike calls it, a force multiplier 
in sustainability innovation. Yeah. Well, let's move on to a final story, and it's one that I wrote. You wrote it! <laughs> <laughs> Wonder of wonders. Uh, on um, this moment, again, it's a pivotal moment in environmental, social, and governance, or ESG ratings, that are have just over the past year, certainly the past two, but more recently, uh, mostly, ha- have just become mainstream, uh, no longer the realm of the so-called values investor or the socially responsible investor, now being elevated to uh, to a very high level. There's a, a recent report from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, that basically said that um, equity investments aligned with ESG criteria could attract assets equal to the size of the Standard & Poor's, the S&P 500 index today. That's, by the way, $25 trillion, or as they say in the business, real money. But they also say that ESG is the best measure we've found for signaling future risk that 90% of bankruptcies in the S&P 500 uh, be, uh, during a 10-year period, 20, 2005 to 2015, were companies with poor ESG, or at least environmental and social scores, five years prior to the bankruptcy. So uh, it, it is a leading indicator, even if not of bankruptcies, of, of companies that are, are in some financial trouble. In other words, as we've said for a long, long time, that that sustainability is uh, is a proxy for just good management. Um, and so um, Bank of America concluded that analyzing financial metrics alone simply won't suffice anymore. But the article wasn't necessarily about that report. That was just the context for really that this is... Uh, a boon uh, potentially for sustainability professionals in big companies as they're now uh, not being as marginalized as they traditionally have been and are being called into investor meetings with the likes of of, of BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and the other and CalPERS and the other big asset owners and managers. And um, and so this is a, a really an opportunity for sustainability professionals to step up and help drive and translate the issue of uh, sustainability and all the many issues within that, climate, water, energy, and so on, uh, into the language of Wall Street. That's a new muscle for most sustainability executives to exercise, uh, but it's one that's uh, really, if they can do it, is a new opportunity. Yeah, and I think, well, one of the reasons I love this article is because I've done a lot of coverage of our reporting trend pieces. So, you know, the, the, the sort of classic challenge of, of every CSO is how do you report internally? And historically, there's been all these frameworks and, you know, those frameworks aren't very well correlated. And I think that's part of um, the challenge for the financial world is, is like, they're, they're just not the same from one to another. You can't really, it's like apples and whatever, papayas, not apples to apples, you can't really kind of get a, a handle on whether this rating, you know, what this rating is telling you versus that rating. And so I, I do a lot of, fo- I think a lot about, you know, the, all of the, the various systems that are in place for, for, for doing this and, 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 and hope to be doing some, some more coverage of that a little bit later this year as I, as I, um, I go to the, the annual SASB, right? So the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board? Yes, I think I got that acronym correct. Going to their symposium in December. I do know that there's also organizations like Morgan Stanley. Uh, I got an invite for an interesting demo that they're having 
on uh, how they're kind of getting their professionals internally to be able to navigate these tools, um, you know, what, what these different ESG ratings mean and how do they as, a, as a, an advisor or uh, someone, you know, that's managing portfolios, how can they navigate these things? So, yeah, it's great. great. It's, it's right. The, the role of the translator, <laughs> the CSO yeah. is translator. Yep. Yep. But what are we translating? And that's the mm-hmm. question. And you mentioned correlation. And there was this, uh, I cite in the article, uh, research that was done by a team at MIT Sloan School, uh, correlating uh, the various ESG ratings. So uh, correlation means that if you have a correlation of one, it's perfectly correlated. They are basically one and the same. So for example, credit ratings from Moody's and S&P are correlated at 0.99, which means they're essentially identical. But when they looked at the correlation among some of the leading ESG ratings, the it was average was 60.61. So uh, there's uh, not uh, that highly correlated, at least in statistical terms. And so there's a lot of work that needs to happen in that it's not just a statistic. It's uh, really the, uh, a job for uh, sustainability professionals. They're saying they're looking at all these different measures and saying, which of these hoops do we need to jump through in order to be well-regarded by the investor community uh, on our ESG performance and commitments and risks and all those things? That's a pretty steep hill to climb. Uh, but um, as I think we're starting to see, they're moving on up. Yeah. And isn't this Hmm, isn't this the focus for something coming up in early February? Thank you for bringing that up, Heather. Yes, this is essentially the focus of the Greenfin Summit we will be having alongside uh, GreenBiz20 in February in Phoenix. Uh, We launched that uh, this year in 2019. We had a half day, 100 people getting sort of the right people in the room as we do for our summits. Um, And it was trying to bring together, not trying, but we brought together the investor, the uh, institutional investors with the ratings agencies, with the corporate reporters, the big companies who are reporting to both of these entities, get them in the room and sort of look at the mismatch of information and the fact that a lot of what companies are reporting is not what investors need to make, as they call it, risk-based asset allocation decisions. This year, in 2020, we're expanding that to a full day. It actually starts Monday at lunch and ends at Tuesday at lunch. This is February 3rd and 4th. 200 people, so we're we're growing this because the interest is so high. And uh, we're partnering with a number of great organizations outside of sustainability in the investment world um, that involve investor relations and corporate secretaries. Uh, And so, yeah, this is... uh, a uh, really interesting thing. You can uh, go to the Green Biz 20 website, and we'll put a link to that in this week's page for uh, the for this podcast, and learn more about the Green Fin Summit. So December isn't just Sogby month, it's webcast month. <laughs> We've had quite a few. I've, I've hosted a couple and Joel, you hosted one this week on a, a, a great topic, uh, how to get your ideas from pilot to planet. We talk a lot about all the wonderful pilot programs that companies run for various things like packaging or, or a circular initiative. So what was the focus of this, uh, of this webcast discussion this week? Well, this is really about collaboration, plain and simple. Dow uh, hosted this and um, looked at some initiatives that they've had with a couple of different partners 
uh, the Kashi brand, part of Kellogg's, um, as well as uh, the supplier of, of, of uh, raw material, bio-based material for some new generations of plastic that, that they're creating for packaging um, called uh, UPM Biofuels. And so we heard from uh, all three of those companies looking at how did this collaboration happen? What have we learned about uh, collaborating with customers and suppliers to, to create innovative new products that, that the world needs and that achieve sustainability objectives? And yeah, in this case, uh, it was about packaging, although it could be about a lot of other things. And as part of the webcast, Ashley Lightoff, who is the North America End-Use Marketing Manager at Dow Packaging and Specialty Plastics, talked about Pack Studios, Pack as in Packaging Studios, which is a uh, network of packaging experts, equipment and testing uh, companies trying to accelerate some of this collaborative development of sustainable packaging. This uh, exists within uh, the Dow framework. And so they are really about collaborating with customers uh, to innovate and ultimately accelerate some of these solutions. So in the webcast, Ashley Lightoff from Dow uh, and Shannon Moore, who's the lead packaging engineer at Kashi Company, uh, talked about how uh, this works and how it's working at Kashi. Here's what they had to say. Uh, Pack Studios is Dow's global network of labs and collaboration facilities where we invite our customers and, and brand partners to work on packaging development together. And really, we Dow wants to be a development partner, um, even as far downstream as working with the brands like Kashi and Kellogg's, um, because we, we've seen that over the years when we do this type of work, when the material supplier gets very involved with the brand owner and their requirements and understands the needs and the trends of the final package, then we can actually develop better solutions as a material supplier to go into those final packages. Um, so when when Shannon and her team came to Pack Studios a few years ago, we really did a deep dive over a couple of days of understanding the entire needs of this product and package. So that involved understanding the shelf life and the type of a packaging equipment that it would run on, the bag format that they wanted, what the shelf appeal needed to look like. Did it, it needed to be a stand-up pouch with certain aesthetics and matte graphics and a clear window. And so really understanding all of those things is actually really important for the material supplier like Dow to be able to provide solutions um, and, and pull from our toolbox of resins and adhesives and compatibilizers and coatings to make sure that we put together the right solution. Yeah, and like Ashley said, there was a lot of discussion about who the brand is. So we don't, that's probably typically outside of our traditional relationship with our material suppliers, but it was really important to talk through, you know, why we had made choices on how the pouch looked, why we were in a stand-up pouch, um, what, what um, uh, products we use, what, you know, our food, how do we protect it? Um, so out of all of these discussions in this visit, um, Dow had put together kind of, you know, a list of suppliers that we may have been already been working with and a couple other manufacturers that we could um, partner with to help us uh, really be successful on this project. 
So the first thing we did as a team is we met all together. Um, we actually went to our manufacturing facility and talked through, okay, this is this is what what we're um, this is how we produce now. This is our distribution uh, network. This is how we get um, food to our customers. And um, we even had the team meet with our marketing team to talk through what was really important to them. And so um, within about a six month period we ran our first uh, full-scale trial after this meeting with Dow, and it, it was successful. We were able to successfully seal packages. We were passing all of our seal integrity testing, and that really allowed us to make the next step into our sensory analysis to ensure that the food and the package were meeting the requirements that we currently had with our existing package. And that was a huge development for us to be able to go from you know, three to four trials where we, we were having the same end result no matter, you know, what material we're using to really doing a deep dive, meeting as a team, talking through everything end to end within our supply chain and our manufacturing process to be able to truly successfully deliver this recyclable package. And so starting this year, um, we began the journey to start converting our portfolio of, of SKUs. So we have um, quite a few different SKUs. We have a, um, our core granola and we have our granola bites. And throughout this year, we've been converting to the recyclable pouch, which allows consumers to take the pouch back with their shopping bags, um, anything that you see with the How, how to Recycle uh, logo. Um, the store drop-off logo, that's what we've enabled through this technology with Dow. So now uh, consumers can take the bags back, like I said, with all of the other items that have the store drop-off logo. And we're reducing the amount of material that would have been landfilled previously. And if you want to learn more about our upcoming webcast, we have two in December on EV charging and fleet electrification and on uh, the changing world of ESG standards and disclosure. Uh, go to greenbiz.com slash events. Scroll down to the bottom where it says upcoming webcasts. A new survey of more than 26,000 people from 174 countries conducted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment, in partnership with the Global Network for Advanced Management, showed that fewer than half were aware of the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Here to discuss the findings is Todd Court, faculty co-director at the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. Todd, welcome to Green Biz 350. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, I will say that I don't think either of us is surprised by the lack of awareness, but why is this a problem? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. So if we think of this, the value of the sustainable development goals, like why did we come up with this framework at an international level? The, there are two, two reasons that business and governments have pointed to. One is the directionality that the sustainable development goals are uh, like a signpost for uh, organizations, parties to all go in the same direction so we can collaborate together. We have an idea of what we want to accomplish. And the second were milestones along those paths uh, identified by the Sustainable Development Goals. So if we, if we 
have decided or if we found that uh, that individuals around the world that um, uh, that students around the world are not aware of that directionality in those signposts it's really a measure of inefficiency uh, towards those goals um, so we can be all be going in different directions working on different things which is not inherently a problem it's just potentially inefficient and i think that's what these these results might point to so, so you actually used three different panels of respondents for the, the survey. Can you discuss who you used and why? Why these different panels? So we had uh, the main survey was the global survey that was produced online. Uh, so people who had access to a computer from anywhere around the world could uh, could log on to that survey and respond. Uh, and that's where we had the bulk of the responses, uh, the over 26,000 people uh, from 174 different countries. Um, in parallel, the Yale School of Management, uh, where the Center for Business and Environment is housed, is part of the Global Network for Advanced Management, which is a network of 30 business schools around the world. And we wanted to test the same questions with business students in those, uh, in those schools to see if we could see any distinctions between how uh, business schools are teaching and students are learning within these business school environments compared to the overall uh, global population. And then the third uh, set of surveys were panel surveys where uh, a small number of people were selected and paid for participation. We use that as a control group uh, that was not self-selecting around the, uh, the, the topic of the survey. So I'm curious, were there any major differences in the responses or in perceptions across the three different groups? So th there were some. For example, gender equality was one of the um, notable findings from the survey. That there was a significant difference in, in uh, perceptions between men and women as to whether gender equality is a priority issue and whether or not we are progressing against gender equality. And in the global population, there was a significant difference between men and women. That difference was smaller in business school respondents. Otherwise, the data from the control group seem to validate the results from the global survey that we didn't see you know significant differences in awareness for example between the control group and the global population so most of the results uh, seem to be indicative uh, if not representative so i want to go i have to ask about the gender thing so like what what did it find was it pretty much like women cared more about the female goals and men just didn't care as much or what was what was the finding yeah, this was, I, I found this to be maybe not surprising, but um, eye-opening. Uh, so across the, the world, across all the respondents, we found one of the, the sustainable development goals is gender equality, sustainable development goal number five. And so we asked respondents, kind of, what are the priority issues uh, or, or sustainable development goals for your personal life or for your business or for your government, wherever you, you work? Um, and we found an, an a significant discrepancy between how many men selected gender equality as a priority issue and how many women selected gender equality as a priority issue. Um, and the not surprising part is that women, women listed gender equality as a top six priority issue at much higher frequency than men across the, across the world. Um, and moreover, when we asked which sustainable development goals are we performing well on, men identified gender equality as something that's getting better much more frequently than women did. 
And this has this has implications beyond the you know just the the basic value of of gender diversity that is embedded in the sustainable development goals. There's there's value to having diversity and to having equal rights between people. Um, but there's gender equality impacts on many of the other sustainable development goals as well. So the the fact that men and women are seeing our progress and the prioritization of this differently has implications for for several of the other sustainable development goals like water and climate change. Hmm. Okay, distressing. I guess we'll move on though. Like so, the findings point to governments right as being the primary force for driving implementation of the goals. And I don't think that's a real. That's it's not a surprise. They are United Nations or you know SDGs. Governments decided them, but the private sector uh, is is uh, is responsible, if you will. So, what should the business world take away from that? That 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 the private sector has a responsibility here to drive implementation. Yeah, the I think the results point to a, a slight prioritization by respondents for the government over business, but it's fairly small. Um, so you'd, you'd almost call pr- uh, companies or businesses and governments as almost equal uh, participants in, in achieving the sustainable development goals. I think this really reflects you know, previous uh, initiatives and efforts like the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, there's a real recognition in the 2015 uh, COP that businesses were an important player in achieving climate targets that were being set by governments. And I think we th- see the same thing in this survey with the sustainable development goals, that that governments might uh, set the the directionality, um, they might set the the infrastructure and the, the laws and the regulations that can really um, make these efforts more efficient by, by businesses, but there is an, an independent role for businesses to, to, to move this forward. Even in the space, even in examples or spaces where government policy is not necessarily conducive, and there's a couple of reasons behind that. I think one is that there's a business case for for businesses to uh, move forward on the sustainable development goals by and large, um, but there's also a kind of collaborative and moral opportunity for businesses to take uh, take a part in this. Okay, so the the money question is: How will this research inform? what you're doing at the Center for the Business Environment, um, you know, will affect the curriculum? Is it, how will you use this with the students there? Yeah, the, the Center is is very much a student-led organization uh, here at Yale. So what this represents for us and, and the way that we want to use this is to, uh, is to identify opportunities for progress. Um, so we have a number of students here at the university uh, at, at both of the schools and at the center that are in- incredibly interested in how business can be a driver for good, uh, how business can help solve environmental and social challenges. Um, and this, this research is kind of identifies where the priority areas are uh, and how kind of what the gaps are, where, where's, where's the most effort needed. Um, so there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of interest, for example, in agriculture right now uh, and, and sustainable business and these sustainable development goals uh, around food and hunger uh, shows a clear opportunity for more progress there. Um, that's an enormous priority for a lot of people. So in terms of research and student involvement, this this is a great way for us to identify opportunities in terms of curriculum and teaching. I think one of the things that we're quite keen on um, is that that business students graduate with an understanding of the role of business in society. In fact, it's it's our mission here at the the Yale School of Management 
Uh, and I think this is an opportunity to say, well, the sustainable development goals are part of that uh, recognition and understanding uh, and could be part of the curriculum. Um, I, my One of my roles here is to conduct the, um, uh, the curriculum for the executive MBA sustainability track. Uh, and I think that it's clear from these results that the sustainable development goals should be um, in, the, in the heads of, of any student that graduates from that program. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. You can go to greenbiz.com slash 350 and you'll find more about the organization's stories and events we mentioned this week. While you're there, check out our free e-newsletters. We publish a different one Monday through Friday, five weekly newsletters and all. Go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters and find out more about them. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at 350 at greenbiz.com. As I said, 350 will be off next week as Heather and I and the rest of the Green Biz team celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. But we'll be back December 6th with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. To our U.S. listeners, have a great Thanksgiving. And thanks so much for tuning in.